0: Well, good morning, church family. I want to invite you, if you've got a copy of God's Word, to go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 33. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you joining us out at our Prince William location, our Montgomery County location, Arlington, as well as those of you that are tuning in online. It's good to be together this morning around God's Word. Uh, my name is Nate Reed, and I serve as a location pastor here at Tyson's. And from the very beginning, I just want to say how much I love this church just love this church. I'm so thankful for this church. I've served on staff now for 14 years, and I'm so thankful for the ways that the Lord has used MBC specifically to deepen my love for the Lord and deepen my love for His people, especially as I get to serve alongside the staff, leaders, volunteers here at Tyson's. It's an honor to serve as one of your pastors. I'm also thankful that over 10 years ago, while serving on staff, I would get to meet a young lady named Rachel who was serving as the Arlington location's talented, wise, beautiful, and single women's discipleship director whom I would eventually get to serve alongside and eventually somehow convinced to become my wife. And I'm so thankful for the woman that the Lord has now allowed me to do life with. And even though uh, Rachel is no longer on staff, I can honestly say that much of how I've learned about what it looks like to serve and, and lead in ministry, I've learned from watching her lead and invest in others. So. Shout out to my wife, so thankful for you, as well as to our Arlington location. You guys will always have a special place in our family. And that's nothing against those of you out of Prince William or Montgomery County. Like, we just, Arlington and I, we just got a little more history or so. It's not no hard feelings or so. But we love you all. So, um, speaking of Arlington, if you were here last week, you know that we're pausing our series through the book of Mark and starting a new series this summer entitled Now I See It, where you'll have the chance to hear from location pastors about time in their life when God revealed himself and his wisdom, in a per, uh, just in a life-changing and personal way. And last week, Eric served our entire church family so well as we walked through Psalm 121, reflecting on God as our perfect keeper. And so this week, we're actually going to walk through Psalm 33, particularly for the times when we find ourselves asking the question, why? Now, uh, Rachel and I have a two and a four-year-old at home, and so the question why is one that we hear all the time which those of you with young kids at home, I'm guessing you resonate with that. And sometimes those questions are incredibly deep. Like just last week, my daughter asked my wife, Mommy, why does God still love us even when we sin? That's pretty deep for a four-year-old. Now, just to make sure it's clear, and her questions aren't always that deep. And other times, her curious mind just often turns the question of why into an endless repetition of the song. This is the song that never ends. As it goes on and on, my friend. In fact, this happened just the other day, and after the 29th why, I had no other choice to say to my daughter, I don't know, sweetie, you're just going to have to go ask your mom. <laughs> but whether you're a child, a student, a seasoned adult, or somewhere anywhere in between all of that, we all ask that question too. When something happens in our lives that we don't understand or was not part of our plan, we often long to know why. Why? It can be really e- easy for us to demand that kind of an answer from God. And that question could come from a variety of different situations. It could be from a missed opportunity like a job or a school application that maybe fell through. It could be from an unexpected diagnosis or ongoing injury, maybe decades of chronic pain, cancer diagnosis, or even Alzheimer's, or maybe even the unexpected passing of a loved one. It could also be the result of a Broken relationship or the desire for a specific kind of relationship. And while it can be good to long for those things, if God delays or withholds them from us, we're left asking why. For Rachel and I, that question of why came when a doctor shared with us that apart from a miracle, we wouldn't be able to have children biologically. And in getting that news, we felt some of our hopes and dreams just break apart which led to a long season of grieving and wrestling with the Lord, asking that very same question. Like, why, God? Why? But it was through that wrestling that the Lord led us to this text, which then became our anchor and our comfort, specifically as he redirected our plans, which resulted in us welcoming home two wonderful children from India through adoption. At the time, it was really hard to make sense of what the Lord was doing in our lives But now we can look back and see that he was doing something incredible that we could not have planned on our own. In fact, it's just as this series is titled, Now We See It. So since this is not just my story, I actually do want to invite my wife, Rachel, to join me up on stage for a moment to read the passage for us today and actually pray for our time in the word. And as she's making her way up here, I do want to say up front that my goal in today's message is not to focus on our story. That's not the point at all. Instead, my hope and prayer is that as we walk through this text and sprinkle parts of our story along the way, that you too would be able to find hope and comfort and see how God is, as we see how God is described in this passage. Like hope and comfort that you can carry with you for the times when you are left asking that same question, why? Specifically, as we're going to see three primary reasons to trust the Lord in seasons when we're left asking that question. And I also want to say, if you're here and exploring Christianity and you're not sure what the Bible is all about, I want you to know that this message is just as much for you today. And I'm going to have a specific invitation for you towards the end, so I want to ask you to stick with me for that. So to that end, I'd love to have you, Rach, if you wouldn't mind, just read the passage for us and then just pray for our time in the Word.
1: This is Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations." Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. Let your steadfast love, O oh Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. O oh Lord, we praise you. You are the maker and the sustainer of all things. God, you alone are our greatest need, and you alone have provided us our only hope. We come together today begging you to speak to us from your word. Your word is living and active. God, may our vision of you expand today through the teaching of your word. And God, we pray that people would trust in you today for their salvation. We confess our need, and we come together with hopeful expectation, that Lord, what you desire to share for us today about yourself. For we know that our hearts are most glad when we are trusting in your holy name, not in our own strength. We know that we cannot sit under your word and remain unchanged. So God, change our hearts by your grace and make us more like your son, Jesus. And God, we pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks, babe. Mm -hmm. So let me give us just a little bit of background on this psalm before we dig in this morning. So unlike other psalms, this psalm has no subscription. So we're not exactly sure who wrote it or what the circumstances were that we're specifically writing about. Some see Psalm 33 as a response or a follow-up to Psalm 32, which was written by King David, but those are only speculations at this point. And as best as we can tell from the context, it was likely written after a time when the Lord delivered his people from an attacking enemy, which results in exuberant praise and a call to wait on the Lord in the future. Now Psalm 33 is specifically categorized as a psalm of descriptive praise, meaning that this is a psalm that describes God and praises him for who he is. Praises God for who he is. It's a picture of who God is and what his character is like, which is then where this psalm actually begins. It begins with praise. And if you notice the first three verses, it is not tame. Like look at the commands we see in these verses. It says, shout for joy in the Lord. Like, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord. Make melody to him with various kinds of instruments. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. And I love this last phrase, with loud shouts. So To those of you who are totally going for it on Sunday morning here when we sing, like, be encouraged. That scripture affirms your enthusiasm. Like, those around you might not approve, but God sure does. So just keep going for it. Keep going for it. The Bible affirms that. And also, just in seeing how this passage affirms how praise should be led skillfully, with melodic voices and with many different instruments, can we just pause and thank God for His grace and the many talented and skilled musicians and vocalists that God has provided to us in our church family to lead us in praise every single week? Like, amen. I'm just so thankful for these brothers and sisters and the way that they steward their gifts uh, for our church family. So this passage begins with praise. And then verses four through five summarize for us why God is worthy for such a response. Here's what it says. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Like we serve a good God who is perfectly righteous and perfectly just. And it says all his work. In fact, if you've got a pencil, like circle that word in your Bible. All his work is done in faithfulness. And starting in verse 6, we're going to see three specific reasons for why God is worthy of our trust and praise, even when we're struggling to see the why. Now, I'll admit, there are more than three reasons in this text that we have time to examine here today, but these three are some of the clearest from the text. So I might encourage you sometime later this week, either on your own or with your church group, to dig a little bit more into this passage. But if you're taking notes, here's the first reason. Number one, we can trust God because of the power of his word because of the power of his word. And you can't read the next verses of this passage and not be blown away by the power that belongs to our God. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. Like, don't breeze past that verse too quickly. Like, this one verse shows us a picture of the incomparable and immense power of our great God. Like, he speaks a word, and the entire universe is formed out of nothing. Like, all of it. Like, let's just put this into perspective for just a moment. Like, God speaks, and the earth and everything in it comes into existence. Oceans, mountains, deserts, the Grand Canyon, like we just saw a little bit ago, forests, continents, clouds, animals, and eventually, as we see later in this text, every single life that has ever existed. But God didn't stop there. He didn't just create the earth, but he also created the massive sun and the other planets in our solar system, many of which are exponentially bigger than the size of our earth. In fact, there's us right there, that little tiny speck, all 7.7 billion people on this earth living right there on that little speck, right there creates the solar system, but he didn't even stop with our solar system. He creates more planetary systems and millions of stars that make up our galaxy, which is known as the Milky Way, which is over 105,000 light years wide. And if that wasn't enough, he created every other galaxy in the universe, which at this point, scientists estimate that there are over 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. 2 trillion which if that's the case, then it's highly likely that there are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth combined. Like, think about that next time you go to the beach and hold a handful of sand in your hand. More stars in the sky than grains of sand on the beach. And God created all of that by speaking a word. Breath of his mouth. Charles Spurgeon writing on this verse set of this way, it's as easy for God to create the universe as for a man to breathe. Nay, far easier. For man breathes not independently, but borrows the breath in his nostrils from his maker. Hmm. Thinking about the beach, the psalmist then uses the imagery of the oceans again in verse 7. It says, he gathers the water of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in the storehouses. Now, I'm sure like many of you, like the beach for me is my happy place. Like If I need to go to recharge, I just need a body of water where I can sit and just soak it up and take it in. And whenever I go to the ocean, I can not help but be overwhelmed by the greatness and power of our God. In fact, this picture here is actually from a short getaway we were able to take as a family back in May. And whenever we go to the beach, I'll always ask my daughter, sweetie, what does the ocean teach us about God? And she'll say that he's big and powerful. And I love hearing her say that. And that's the picture that we see here in this verse. The writer is saying that while the ocean is immense and vast, our great God gathers them up and stores them in a jar. Just holds them in a jar. Now to the original audience, this passage would have brought to mind the greatest story of deliverance from their history. How in Exodus 14, the Lord had parted the Red Sea so the Israelites would be saved from Pharaoh and his army. He literally pushed the waters aside so they could walk across the sea on dry ground. It's amazing. And it's only natural then that we would see the response in the next verses, in verses eight to nine. It says, let all the earth fear or revere the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now, I know that the temptation in seasons of difficulty is to run from God rather than to run to him. But let me just encourage you, church family, in seasons of waiting or asking why, like don't run away from God, run to Him. Let us first remember that God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent over everything in all creation. He made it all and He sustains it all. And by His grace, He's given us His written word to remind us of who He is. Just as He used this specific text in Rachel and I's life, His word is so good to meet you as well in your time from you. So don't run from him, run to him. Which then leads into the second reason we're going to see why we can trust God in this season of why. We're going to see it in just a little bit, but let's start back at verse 10 now. It says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, and he frustrates the plans of the peoples. Now, while the context of this passage is likely referring to God frustrating the plans of Israel's enemies, The reality is that God also tends to frustrate the plans of his people as well. In fact, that word frustrate used here can also mean to disallow or to hold back. The word for the phrase bring to nothing can also mean to break apart or shatter. It's actually the same word that Job uses in describing the painful circumstances that God had allowed to take place in his life. Job 16, 12, it says, I was at ease and he, the Lord, broke me apart. There are going to be times in your life that feel like God is taking your plans and breaking them apart, frustrating them. In fact, I know some of you are right there right now, possibly even with something that his word has declared to be good, which was a major struggle for Rachel and I when we received this good news. God had frustrated our plans by withholding biological children. And we'd read passages like Psalm 8411 that say, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And we'd say to God, God, it sure seems like you're withholding something good for us right now. And that was the question that we struggled with for many months. Like, what do you do when it seems like God is withholding something from you, particularly when it's something that his word has declared to be good? Like, what do you do in that? Which is where the next verse is incredibly key. Verse 11, it says this, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. See this. We do not follow a disengaged creator who made everything and then left it alone for chance. We follow a loving God who is intimately involved in all the details and facets of our lives. He's directing our steps and our circumstances in perfect accord with his plans. His counsel stands forever, the plans of his heart, to all generations, every single one of them. None of you are left out in that, which is the second reason that we can trust God in a season of asking. We can trust God because, number two, of the purpose of his plans. The purpose of his plans. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to build out the full doctrine of God's providence today. I wish we could. But the Bible clearly and consistently shows us how God is sovereign over and in control of all things. Let me just list a few ways that the Bible speaks of this. Proverbs sixteen thirty three. it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Nothing happens by chance. Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. And even Ephesians 1.11 is in a similar way, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. God is in control, and this is such good news for us, particularly in the times when it's hard to see how God is at work in our circumstances. In fact, we can trust, as we saw in a Bible reading, this just this past week in Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, it says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There is no situation or circumstance that takes place outside of God's control. Believe that. It was difficult for us to hold that or believe that when we got that hard news seven years ago. Even though we already knew long before we received that news that we wanted to open our home through foster care adoption at some point, we were still hurting and left asking why. But looking back, we can now see how the Lord was leading and guiding us in ways that can only be ascribed to his power. In fact, um, even as we began to pursue adoption, the Lord directed both, both Rachel and I's hearts in various ways to the point that we both knew without hesitation that we wanted to pursue a child from India. And He did that separately in both of our hearts. It was amazing. And people ask us all the time, like, why did we choose India? What was the reason for that country? Well, there were a few intentional reasons for us in that. First, we both shared a love and appreciation for the culture and its people, not to mention the food as well. We enjoyed that. But we also felt it was important to try as much as possible to uphold and honor our children's heritage as much as we could. Secondly, and more importantly, India is a, co- as a country with urgent spiritual need. Like India has a population of over 1.4 billion people, and 95% of those 1.4 billion are considered unreached, which means that 1.3 billion people in this country have never even heard of the name of Jesus and the truth of who he is and what he has done for them. of that country. And we felt that this could be a way that at least one child from that country could have an opportunity to hear and prayerfully one day respond to the gospel. And then, if the Lord wills, maybe even one day take the gospel with them back to their country of origin. And finally, India has urgent need when it comes to vulnerable children. And i had been able to see that need up close. Back in 2016, I was invited to go on a mission trip with a few other pastors from our church And my heart broke deeply as I saw the need firsthand. I'll even say the fact that I was on that trip was also something that God alone could orchestrate. I was invited to go on that trip five days before the team was about to leave. And as I was getting ready, I realized that my passport was expired. To make matters worse, I figured that out on a Friday afternoon in the middle of a snowstorm that had shut down most of the city. What do I do? Well, long story short, we did find one small travel agency in Arlington that was still open that day and somehow were able to rush the renewal of my passport in order that I could go on that trip. Which, to which you might say, okay, Nate, well, how does a mission trip and a renewed passport point so clearly to God's, God's purposeful plans? It still overwhelms me to think about this, but the timing of that trip was not an accident. That trip would take place just four months before we would receive that news from that doctor about our family situation. Just four months before. And now, looking back, we can see that God, in His perfect timing, was already preparing the way for His perfect plans long before we could even recognize it. It was like His gentle way of saying, I know it's about to get really tough. I know it is. But trust me in this, my plans will make sense to you more one day. Which we would then see come full circle three years later when we brought home our daughter in 2019. And we'd see it yet again in March of 2021 when we'd be able to bring home our son. Which, specifically about his circumstance, when it was time to bring him home, we were actually only given two days' notice that we needed to be on a plane to India. It was really quick. And after picking him up, we left the country just days before India would go on complete lockdown at the beginning of one of their largest COVID outbreaks. In fact... Just yesterday, we actually met a family at a gathering for families with Indian adoptees who had traveled just a few days after us and ended up being stuck in the country for six months afterwards. Like nothing can stop the plans of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing can. And his purposes are perfect even when his timing doesn't make sense. And now, having walked the road of infertility for over seven years now, Rachel and I can honestly say that we are at complete peace with how the Lord has and will build our family in the future. And while our precious little kids have already had to experience tremendous loss in their lives, we are so honored that we get to walk that journey with them as their parents. So, honored, while pointing them to the only one who can bring restoration to their story as well. You can trust God's perfect plans. You can trust them. It's like it says in verse 4, all of his work is done in faithfulness. The plans of his heart to all generations. Let me Hear me in this, ladies and gentlemen. One day it will all make sense. It's coming. Which leads us to the third reason that we can trust the Lord in the waiting. We can trust the Lord in a season of why because of the promise of his deliverance. Amen. Promise of his deliverance. And we're going to see this specifically in verse 13 to 19. So, Most psalms are considered Hebrew poetry, and that kind of poetry works a lot differently than the poems that we're familiar with today. Like, while English poetry centers on rhythm and rhyming words, Hebrew poetry more focuses on repeating ideas. In fact, as we've read through this psalm, you've probably noticed how each verse will say the same thing, oftentimes twice, but just in a different way. It's repetition. And repetition in Hebrew is meant to show Emphasis. And in these verses to come, one of the main points is very clearly repeated. In fact, see if you can spot one of those ideas as it's, as it's repeated in these verses. I'm going to put verses 13 to 18 on the screen, and I want you to listen to see if you can find that repeated idea as I read it. It says this, "'The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds.'" King is not saved by his great army a warrior is not delivered by his great strength the war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue behold the eye of the lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love now there's so much in those few verses but did you see the idea that's repeated 5 times in this passage what is it god's sight that he sees. And what specifically does he see? What is it? You. He sees you and me. Like, let me highlight it for you in the screen if you didn't catch it. It says, the Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. He sits on his throne and looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth and observes all of their deeds. And at the end, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. This is also mind-blowing when you think about it. The same God who spoke the universe into new existence and works all things according to his purposes, sees you and is fully aware of the circumstances and details of things that you are walking through. And that's not just in a general sense. He intentionally and lovingly created you. It says he fashioned your heart. And he sees you individually, personally, and intimately. It's amazing. We even see this in the name that's used for God in this psalm. Yahweh, it's the personal covenant-keeping name of our God. Repeated 13 times in these 22 verses. God sees each of you, and to what end? That he may deliver their soul from death, verse 19, and keep them alive in famine. It says, keep them alive in famine, meaning he promises to sustain you through difficult seasons and ultimately to deliver your soul from death, which is something that every single one of us needs. So if you're here listening in or, and you've never trusted in Jesus with your life, this is where I want you to listen really closely. While none of us knows what the future holds, we are all waiting on the same thing, whether we realize it or not. Death. And not just death, but ultimately what death brings, which is eternity. And while God in his love and power created the world, including you and me, to sit under his blessing and kingship, we rebelled against his rightful rule and chose our ways instead of his which seems so arrogant now in light of what we've seen God to be in this passage. Like if he is perfectly good and created everything and is sovereignly guiding everything towards his purpose, perfect plans, then it would be foolish not to trust and follow him. Completely foolish. But every single one of us has done this. We're inclined towards selfishness. And as a result, we have brought about the brokenness and pain that we see in this world and severed the perfect relationship that we were meant to enjoy with God. We're in need of being saved and restored, and we cannot fix that on our own. The passage makes that clear. It says there's no might, no strength, no nation or army that can deliver us from our sinful state. Only God can do this. And the good news of the Bible is that while we could do nothing, God did everything to make this possible for us. And he did it through the one act of which all history hinges upon He came to us in the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place, taking on the full penalty that we deserve. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later, showing that he had defeated death and proclaimed that all who trust in him would be forgiven of their sin and welcomed into a relationship with him that will last for all of eternity. It's the perfect plan that God has been orchestrated since the beginning and the foundation of the world. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to urge you today to receive his free gift of salvation. The God who created you has made a way for you to be reconciled to him. If only you'll recognize him for who he is and receive his mercy and his grace. He promises to deliver your soul from death and to sustain you through difficulty. And through it all, he sees you and is with you, sees you and is with you. Thinking about our own story, there was one circumstance we just always think about where the Lord so clearly said to us, I see you, but not just you, I see all the children of man. We had been waiting for months to be matched with our first child, and there was one night when Rachel and I were just begging and pleading with the Lord for his mercy, just crying out for him, we're in tears, God, please have mercy on our little one, whoever that child might be. You know and love that child. Like, please bring him or her into our family, crying out for mercy. And then the very next day, we got a call about a little girl in northern India who needed a family. They sent us her picture, and they shared with us her Indian name. And when we looked up the meaning of her name, we were overwhelmed by God's grace. The meaning of her name, mercy, mercy, even more incredibly, just thinking about the time difference between here and India, we realized that at the time we were praying was the exact moment in country when we were matched with that little girl. Like, don't ever doubt that the Lord does not move in response to your prayers. Like, don't give up in seeking Him in that way. He's so good. Never doubt this. And as just as it says in Psalm fifty-six, eight, I love this passage. You have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Like, to those of you that are walking through a season of difficulty and are asking God why right now, know this. The same God who gathers up the oceans into his jar also gently collects every single one of your tears in his bottle and values them, holds them. He sees you and promises to deliver you according to his perfect plan. We can trust him because of his promise to deliver, his promise to sustain us in this life, and his promise of ultimate deliverance from death and then into the life to come. So in light of these three reasons then, how do we respond to our great God in this? Well, here's how I want to close. There's four concluding responses that we're going to see from this text, and with those we're done. I promise they're quick. They're not going to be as long as the other ones were. They're just helpful for us as to what to do when we're in a season of why. So what do we do in that season? First thing, we wait confidently. Look at verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. We wait confidently. Like while you're waiting for God's wisdom or provision in a certain circumstance, you can wait with confidence in the only one who offers the power and the promise to sustain and save you. He's our helper and our protector, our help and our shield. We wait confidently, we trust gladly. Verse 21, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Like when you receive that diagnosis, when things don't work out the way that you expected or hoped, You can still be glad and find joy because we know that ultimately God's purposes and plans will result in our good and his glory in the world. We can find joy and gladness, which then ultimately leads to peace and rest. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding that we see in Philippians 4, 7, that God promises to give to us when we seek him. We can wait confidently, trust gladly, and third, pray expectantly. Look at verse 22 let your steadfast love o lord be upon us even as we hope in you like even in the moments of waiting or challenges or questioning god invites us asks us to allows us to cry out to him asking him to work according to his purposes and character even while we're still asking why he invites that so we pray for healing We pray for provision, we pray for restoration, and we do so boldly, recognizing that he hears our cries and always responds in a perfect accord with his plans. We pray expectantly. And then the last response, to which you say, well, hold on a second, Nate. We're out of verses here. (laughs) Like, where do we find the fourth response to this passage? Which is where I hope you're starting to see the pattern from this entire psalm. When your circumstances tempt you to lose sight of these truths, you remind yourself that God created the universe by speaking a word. You remind yourself that God's plans are intentional and perfect. You remind yourself that God sees you and is the only one who can deliver you from difficulty and death. And then you start the cycle all over again as it takes you right back to the response that we saw at the beginning of this psalm. What was the response? Praise. It brings us back to praise. So lastly, we rejoice worshipfully. These truths bring you right back to praise with shouts of joy and loud singing as we cling to this pattern throughout all of our lives, especially as each trial or difficulty or why comes along. Why? Because this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we get to follow. And because we know that there is a day coming when there will be no more need for this cycle anymore. There's going to be no more questions. Final deliverance will come. All the wise will be answering. Waiting will be no more. And our wonderful, powerful, loving, and all-seeing God who has sustained you through it all will be yours forevermore to enjoy. It's coming. So I want to urge every single one of you within the sound of my voice, put your hope and trust in God. To those of you who have never trusted in Jesus, I want to urge you put your hope and trust in Him and in the sacrifice that He's made for you, recognizing that Jesus is the only one who can deliver your soul from death and welcome you into an eternity to enjoy Him forever. Trust in Jesus. And for those of you who are in Christ, let me encourage you with this persevere with hope in the waiting, persevere in the questioning. And while I know that this passage isn't always a guarantee that God's gonna provide exactly what you're asking or waiting for, it's not a guarantee of that. He does promise us that one day, whether it be in this life or when we stand with him in eternity, that you too will be able to step back and say with him, now I see it. I see it now. And God, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's coming soon. Hold on to that. So to that end, would you bow and pray with me? Mm -hmm. Oh God, even as I reflect on this passage today, I'm reminded of what we read in our Bible reading just this morning in Matthew chapter six. It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are so powerful and so good and fully deserve of all of our reverence and awe. We ask, God, that your kingdom come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we confess, Lord, that we struggle to see and understand why you do things in certain ways at various times. But I pray that as a result of this text, you would help us to trust deeply in you this week, no matter what we're facing or for the times that may come when all we know to do is just say, why? Why, God? And so for those who are currently waiting for healing, or provision based on a major need. God, we pray that you would give that to them, that you would strengthen them, sustain them, work in a powerful way that can only be attributed by your glory. And if you're near divine providence, you choose not to provide healing, help them to see the good in what you're doing and to use it to further your kingdom. For those who are wrestling with understanding why you might be doing things in this life right now, Lord, give them wisdom and understanding and ultimately peace and rest that you promised to give to us particularly to those who are struggling to trust in your perfect plans, Lord. Help them to set their minds on things above and not the things on earth. And finally, Lord, for those here today who have never trusted in you, may you awaken their hearts to see how wonderful and glorious you are and how deeply they need you. I pray that you would lead them to to confess their, uh, their need for your forgiveness, that they would turn from their sin and trust in you, And you would fill them with a perfect peace knowing that now they are restored to the perfect king and ruler of the entire universe. Change hearts today, Lord, for the sake of eternity. We love you, Lord, and thank you that we serve a God who one day is gonna show us why everything's happened the way that it has, to which we will then say, all glory and honor and power be to you for all of eternity. Fix our eyes on that day, Lord. We love you. Thank you so much for this text, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's children said together, amen. 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 Amen.